If you're able, will you remain standing and turn to Psalm 119, starting at verse 49. That's the Zayan portion of Psalm 119. The word remember is featured prominently in this particular section because it starts with the letter Zayin, so it's one good one to have there. Remember, each one of these verses starts with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So this is the word of our Lord, starting at verse 49 of Psalm 119. Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This has become mine because I kept your precepts. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. O Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that it would have its way with us in the hands of your spirit today. For asking Jesus' name, we all say amen. Please be seated. The Bible portrays the people of God as pilgrims or sojourners. Abraham, who Paul calls the father of the faithful, was a wanderer in this world. Remember, he was called out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. He was sent and and never told where he was going to go. He just went, and his whole life was a life of sojourning, a life of pilgrimages. Israel spent 40 years living in tents in the desert and a life of pilgrimage. And even when Israel went to the promised land, there was always a threat of unsettlement. The Philistines, the Egyptians, the Assyrians were always threatening them to remove them from the land. So there was always that idea that they were pilgrims, even in their own land, that they were sojourners. Eventually, the Babylonians came and literally took them away to a land that was strange to them. This idea that they were sojourners, that they were programs, was even built into their religious calendar, where once a year, they would leave their homes and live in tents in the Feast of Tabernacles in order to remind them that this world is not their home, that they are passing through, that they are pilgrims in this land. Even after the Babylonian captivity, when Israel returned to the land, They did so as foreigners in their own land, being subjugated by foreign powers. First the Persians, then the Greeks. For a short period, they had independence, but then they were ruled by the Romans. And in even their own land, they were sojourners. They were pilgrims. And as we look at the scriptures, the faithful, the people of God in general are, are, are called pilgrims, but the faithful are especially called strangers, and pilgrims on the earth. In Hebrews chapter 11, when the Holy Spirit is referring to people who have gone before us as believers on this earth, 
It, he says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That is us. We are looking for another place. This is not our homeland. And all this movement from place to place that we see in the Bible is not by accident. It would then become the object lesson for us. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are citizens of another country. We are journeying through this land and through this life to the heavenly city in the life to come. So the Apostle Peter tells us to live as the wanderers that we are. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, live in a certain way. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims. We are campers, as it were, in this life. Now, if you, ha- if you can't relate to the idea of being a pilgrim or the, the idea of being a sojourner, Maybe most of us can relate to the idea of being a camper. Camping is fun for two days, <laughs> maybe three, and then we want to go back home. That's the, the imagery that we have in this life. We are campers. We, we are passing through. We, this is not our permit location. And you might ask, why? Why all this talk about pilgrimages? All the, why all this talk about sojourners? All, why all this talk about not being part of this world and looking for something else, a homeland that's not here, a city that's not here? Well, because the writer of Psalm 119 sees himself as a pilgrim. In verse 54, he says, Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimages. His words, the words of this person who wrote Psalm 119, are the words of the one who does not find a home in this world. His house is his pilgrimage. That's where he lives. He lives in this pilgrimage. And that's where we live. We live in this pilgrimage going on somewhere else. The words of the psalmist are our words as we live in this age as citizens of the age to come. And as we do that, as we look at this psalm, as we look at this psalm from the perspective of being a pilgrimage, I want us to see three things. And the first is this. As we live as sojourners, we want God to remember his promises to us. As we live in this world, remember how what the, the, the hymn said, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. As we live with that attitude... We want God to remember His promises to us. Look at verses 49 and 50. Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. 
So we want God to remember his promises to us. Now, God is omniscient, which means that he knows all things past, present, and future at all times. God does not forget anything. So in the Bible, so when in the Bible someone asks God to remember something, he or she is not asking God to remember something he forgot. When someone asks God to remember something, he or she is asking God to act according to that thing they're asking God to remember because God does not forget anything. So when the psalmist prays and when we pray, remember your word to your servant, we are praying that God would act according to all that he says in his word, especially his promises to his people. So when we pray, remember, God, we pray things like this. Remember, Lord, to be my God and the God of my children. As I live a life of a sojourner, as I live looking to the life to come, remember, God, that you promised to be a God to me and to my children. Act according to that. We pray, remember, Lord, to never leave me nor forsake me. We pray, remember, Lord, to be my light and my salvation, the strength of my life. We pray, remember, Lord, to strengthen me and help me to uphold me with your righteous right hand. As we live a life of sojourning and we we ask the Lord to remember his word, we're praying, remember, Lord, to keep me in perfect peace for I trust in you. We pray, remember, Lord, to go before me and to be with me. We pray, remember, Lord, that your son bore my sins on the cross. We pray, remember, Lord, to work all things for my good because I love you and I am called according to your purpose. We pray, remember, Lord, to meet all my needs according to the riches of your glory in Jesus Christ. We pray, remember, Lord, to keep me in the light of your son. We are asking, beseeching, begging God to remember the promises, to act according to the promises he made to us as we live a life of a sojourner going to our home. And God's remembering us has nothing to do with our deserving it. We don't pray these prayers because we have something to offer him. We don't pray these prayers because somehow God owes us to do that. Notice there in verse 49 that he says, that is, to his servant, your servant. He is the word for a slave. He comes to God as a slave, not one who deserves anything. He comes humbly to the Lord, asking God to remember his promises to him. And brothers and sisters, God is faithful to us because he's faithful to himself. Not because you or I have done anything so great that God now owes us to act in a certain way. If God's faithfulness to us depend on us, we will be of all people most miserable because we are people who change. We are people who are uncommitted. We are people who waver in our faith the Lord, and yet He's always faithful to His promises and remember them because He swore to do that by His own name. He will keep all the promises He has made to us because He made them for his name's sake. The best, we're not going to do that, but the best way to understand that is reading the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, almost every chapter says, the God is talking to people, look, I'm going to bring you out of captivity. I'm going to restore you. 
I'm going to continue to be your God, but I'm not doing that because of you. Because if I did, if it was because of you, I wouldn't do any of these things. I mean, do, I'm doing all these things. I'm acting as your God, as a compassionate, merciful, faithful, loving God towards you because I've promised to myself that I would do that for you. And I don't change. The clearest passage on that is really in the New Testament, is in Hebrews chapter 6, where he's speaking of the Abrahamic covenant and the, the perpetual nature of that covenant. God, uh, the Holy Spirit says that Abraham came to, that God came to Abraham and not having anyone greater than he by whom he could swear, God swore by his own name that he would be our God and that we would be his people. So that by the word of the one that cannot be changed, all things could be established. You can read that in Hebrews 6, 13 through 18. Now, why does the psalmist pray that God would remember his promises to him? Why would he do that? The answer is this, because God had caused him to hope in them. Look at verse 49 again. Remember the word of your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. Once again, we see the pattern of life of the Christian. God works and we work. We, we, we do because God does. We see God doing and we see the psalmist doing. And that's how we work. The, the, the whole dynamic of life is really summarizing Philippians 2, 12 and 13, where we work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is working in us to want, to will, and to do of his good pleasure. He values, the psalmist values God's promises because God caused him to hope in them. He hopes in the word of God because of the God of the word. Brothers and sisters, where is your hope today? Where have you anchored your life? Where is it that you're counting on for life? Where is your hope today? Brothers and sisters, our hope is in the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for my sins, who died for your sins. Our hope is in the risen Savior who lives to bless his church. Our hope is in the mighty Savior who is returning for you, who is returning for me. Where is your hope today? Our hope is in Jesus who delivered us from sin and renewed us in righteousness. Where is your hope? Another question, not where. What? What is your hope? What is your hope today, brothers and sisters? What is it that's getting you through life? What is it that's going to get you out of this life? What is it that you're counting on for eternity? The Heidelberg Catechisms, the catechism that we're not as familiar with as the short as the uh, Westminster Catechisms, but question one of the Heidelberg Catechisms is worth buying the whole thing. Question one asks, Christian, what is your only comfort in life and death? In essence, what is your hope? This is what the Christian responds: that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul. 
both in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can, call, can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Is that your hope today? Is your hope in Jesus Christ? The psalmist understood that. He said he hoped on the promises of God. Is your hope the promise of salvation that whoever comes to Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life? Our comfort in our affliction is the word of God and the God of the word. So is your hope in God. Look what he says in verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction for your words have given me life. Do you have life, brother, sister, friend? Are you living in Christ? Has he brought you from being dead in your sins to being alive in Christ? As Psalm 40 says, has he taken you out of the miry pit? Has he placed you upon a rock? That rock is Jesus Christ. And has he given you a new song to sing for him? Your word has given me life. So as we live as sojourners, we pray, Lord, remember your promises to me. But as we live as sojourners on this earth, we also want to remember God's past dealings with us. Not only want God to remember, we too want to remember. Look at verses 51 through 53. The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. For the psalmist, God's past judgment was a source of comfort there in verse 52. The psalmist is suffering in the hand of the proud in verse 51. He is held in derision because of his allegiance to God. The proud of the earth were upset with him, were making fun of him, were mocking him because he stood on the word of God. He is mocked because he loves the Lord and his word. But he knows the word of God and remembers that God throughout history has judged the proud who oppressed his people. Now, several of you have asked me uh, how much of the Bible the writer of Psalm 119 had. It's impossible to know, but this is likely a post-exilic psalm that is written after Israel came back from Babylon. So he could likely have, though he for sure would have the first five books of the Bible, he could likely have Job, Ruth, Judges, Joshua. He could have First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuels, a lot of the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Isaiah, uh, the twelve prophets, those that were of the minor prophets, those that were pre-exilic. So he has that, and he's seen in all that that God has judged the proud who mocked his people throughout the. The, the ages. He knows that the afflictions of this life are but light and momentary compared to the riches of the life to come because the Bible says so. And he's comforted 
by the way in which God deals with his people in the Bible. And brothers and sisters, the same comfort is available to us. In Romans 15, verse 4, Paul says that whatever things were written before, uh, talking about the Old Testament, were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. The same way that the psalmist Look at what he had of the Bible and saw that God judged the proud on behalf of his people and that comforted him. We can look at the whole history of the Bible and be comforted by how God acts towards his people. We read the Bible and we see what God does and what he has done. We know that he remains the same God. Then we are comforted and encouraged to stick to the way of the Lord, as the psalmist was in verse 51. Yet I do not turn aside from your law, even when I'm mocked, because your word brings me comfort. We are also comforted by God's providential care of us. As we, as we remember God's past dealings with us from the word, as we live as sojourners, we also remember God's dealing with us in our lives, in his providence. All of us can look back at our lives and point our time at times, point out times when God's goodness to us was especially evident. And a lot of times it's not necessarily a big deal. A moment of illumination by the Spirit. You're reading a passage in the Bible that you read time and again, and yet at that moment the Holy Spirit as it were, makes the scales of your eyes fall and you see the, 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 just the magnitude of Christ in that passage. It's a great moment of providential comfort that God brings to our lives. Or a folded $100 bill slipped to us. You know, it sounds um, like nothing, I, but I remember in, in seminary, uh, as a foreign student, I was not allowed to work. And my parents at that time had disowned me, so that was not a source of income as well. And I had $10 to my name, literally. That's no, the clothes I owned and $10. That's all I had. And I really didn't know how I was going to eat the following week in, in class, in, in, during, during the, the school week. They didn't say anything, but I was struggling. And we had these cubby holes at the seminary. And all of a sudden, in my cubby hole, literally, a little folded up $100 bill shows up. Not, I hadn't talked to anybody about it. Just, just a little evidence of God saying, I, I got your back. I'm with you. Now, had he not put, if he had not put the dollar bill there, would, this, would he not be taking care of me? No, he still would. And he didn't have to do that for me to know he's taking care of me. And yet, in his good providence, right there, increased my wealth by a thousand percent. <laughs> Prosperity gospel right there uh, for you. Just a little evidence of his goodness to me at that moment. That was more than, to me, the impact on me in, in, in feeling God's, experiencing God's goodness was greater than any other money I got afterwards. And it's just a $100 bill. I smile from a friend. I've ever been in a situation where you're discouraged and you're down, and you had to come across a brother or sister who just smiles at you 
with a, a smile that you know is full of love, that's full of care for you. Just nothing, right? A smile is nothing. It's, it supposedly takes less muscles to smile than to frown. So it's even less work than frowning at somebody. And yet the Lord in His providence comforts us in that little smile of a brother and a sister. So the Lord shows that He is good. And as we sojourn, as we go through this life, we remember God's dealings with us in His providence. And the more, and this is important people, the more we are comforted by God's care of us, displayed in His Word, the more upset we get by those who have no care for the Word of God. The more He encourages us through His Word, the more indignant we get when His Word gets defiled by the mockers outside and even in our midst. In verse 53, He says, Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Notice that forsaking God's Word is something that the wicked does, not the Christian. So if you're a Christian, you're forsaking God's word, you're acting like something that you're not. Turn away from that. Repent. That's we experience speaking in tongues right now here with Julius uh, speaking. But brothers and sisters, on a serious note, it is proper and even required that we be righteously indignant, that we be upset when the word of God is disregarded, run through the mud, made fun of, and disobeyed. So if we love the Lord, if we're encouraged by His Word, we are greatly displeased when that Word is rejected. We, we are more upset about that than when the Constitution is rejected. Now sometimes we, as right-leaning people, tend to be more upset about when our rights as Americans are, forsake, are, are, are taken away than when the Word of God is violated and yet, the Word of God is true apart from the Constitution. That's why during the COVID time, when we decided to come back and meet in opposition to what the governor was saying, we grounded what we're saying, not in our religious freedoms declared in the Constitution, but the commands of the Bible, who are true in the United States and also in North Korea, that we are to meet as God's people. So we ask the Lord to remember his promises as we walk as a soldier. And we remember the things that God has done in our lives and what he tells us in his word as we live as a sojourner. And as we live as sojourners and remember God's dealing with us, we want to obey him. In verses 54 to 56, the psalmist says, Your statutes have been my songs in, my, in the house of my pilgrimage. I remember your name in the, right, in the night, O Lord, and keep, I keep your, your law. This has become mine because I kept your precepts. Life on this world is to be lived with the constant presence of God's word. That's why it says there in verse 54, Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. The statutes of the Lord is his songs. They are always with him. He's always playing at our house. Music is always on. And you know where Emily is, because that's where the music is. You know, she often has in her phone, in her pocket, and you can hear, woo, depending on what room she's going to. But it's always there. It's always Christian song, always being reminded of who God is. And, and that's kind of the picture. It's a great 
concrete way to understand this, that his song, the, the, the word of the Lord, is always with him. That's his song. That's why he rejoices. That's why he sings. That's why he hears when he's sad. That's why he proclaims when he's excited and so on. To have the word always with you means more than having copies of the Bible in your pocket. It means to obey the word. And as the psalmist lays awake at night, he remembers that God is Yahweh. In verse 55, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. Can you relate to this? Have you ever been laying in bed just thinking at night? You can't sleep. You know, uh, things are going on in your life. Or just plain old, your body aches. Now, I'm 49, and now one of the most painful things I do is sleep. That's sad, right? Uh, uh, and you lay there in bed, and you think about everything there is to think about. And that's what this psalmist is doing. And as he does that, what comes to mind? The name of the Lord, Yahweh, God's proper name. The name that he chose to reveal himself to us. God, the ever-present God, the God who always is. He is the God who entered into covenant with his people. Remember in Exodus 3.14 when Moses said, when God said, go back and tell them that I sent you. I'm the God of, the, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And then Moses says, I think they forgot you. What, who do I say? I am, or in the third person, Yahweh. Knowing who God is enables the psalmist to keep the law of God. And to remember God's name is to know him personally. And to know him is to want to do his word. And obedience produces comfort, hope, and more strength to obey. Verse 56 says, This has become mine because I kept you your precepts. This re- refers back to comfort, to hope, to strength, to obey. The more we follow God's words by God's grace, the more hope and comfort we have. And here is really the brilliant thing that the that that the psalmist makes so clear in verse 56. Brother, sister, it is not a burden to obey God's word. It's a blessing. Don't approach life as a burden because you're living in obedience to God's word. It's a blessing. It is a blessing, not a burden to live God's word. He lifts the burdens to live by God's word. He brings blessings to live by God's word. This attitude, the attitude that we meet in the words that the psalmist is going to utter utter later, I love how I love your law, O Lord, recognizes that God has not given his word to curse us. Our Lord Jesus Christ says that his yoke is easy, his burden is light, which means that A walk apart from Christ and his word is heavy and hard. God has given us his word to teach us how to live and to show us the need of a Savior. And those things, my friends, are not a curse. They're a blessing for us. So here you have the walk of a pilgrim. And as he walks, he he asks God to remember his promises. But also, he wants to remember the things that God's done for him and what he's done for his people in his word. And as he remembers those things, he obeys God. Because obedience to the word is not a curse, but it's a blessing. A blessing given to those who know Jesus Christ. 
Do you know him? Are you growing in him? Are you holding on to him for dear life? Is Christ your hope in life and in death? To what are you looking? Are you looking to horses and chariots as a psalmist? Where are you looking to the powers of this world? Or is your help in the name of the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, who gave us the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sins and establish us in righteousness? What is your hope? Let us pray together. Father, thank you that you are a God who speaks. We thank you for your word and we pray that you, we would hope in it and in the things that, says, that it says about Christ. For asking his name. Amen.